Mother's Day is uh, an interesting day to preach. I have to confess, it's kind of a hard day to preach in a lot of ways. Um, I'm very aware that in a room this size with this number of people that, um, and, and I want to acknowledge that there are a mix of circumstances. It's been alluded to in, in prayers already. You know, statistically, we're told this is the second largest attended Sunday uh, in the year, second only to Easter. Now, I think our church is probably a little different than that uh, as we have the Lessons and Carol Sunday and the Palm Sunday uh, musical programs. Probably changed that a little bit, but it's a, it's a heavily attended day. Some, nothing really moms like better than to sit there with all their, their chicks gathered around. And so uh, it's one of the ways that we uh, honor moms. Dads are like, hey, let me go to the golf course. Yeah, I mean, that's a little, uh, a little different, but I'm just kidding. But no doubt in a room like this and those watching online and, and those who this may fall into their hands at some point, um, there's a variety of emotions in the room. There are um, some who are very excited, very proud, happy moms that have their kids here and, or they're headed from here to go spend time with them or they're anticipating that phone call this afternoon. They just have great relationships with their kids and, and uh, it's just a great love relationship. Um, there are some excited, maybe a bit uncomfortable, expectant moms here uh, in the room today. I've got one here carrying my grandchild. And so um, that's uh, another special thing about today. But there are sad people. There are people here that this is maybe their first Mother's Day without their mom. And this is a bitter pill. I remember when my dad, my mom's still living, but when my dad passed away, just that surreal experience of walking into Target and intuitively seeing a crowd over by the card aisle, walking toward the card aisle, but it was Father's Day and I realized for the first year I didn't need to buy a card. Those are, those are weird feelings. Those are strange. Those are hard feelings. Um, some are, are anticipating that maybe this is going to be their last year with their mom. Some are estranged from their mom. Relationships have been broken, and it's hard. There's also uh, people here who are, are, are weary. I mean, moms, they love their kids. They love being a mom. They just slap worn out. I mean, you're just tired. And, uh, and you just live tired. It's like every day is just the new version of tired. And uh, got news for you, it's going to last a while, okay? So uh, you'll, you'll get to the other side of that a little bit one day. There are also terrified moms in the room. Those who look around and, and see the world that we're living in, they're, they're terrified for their kids growing up in this world. They're terrified for what's, what's coming next and, and what's going to happen. There are some sad moms here who who maybe have, have lost a child. And that became a lot more poignant at about 8 o'clock this morning when I got a phone call about Colleen Lipscomb losing her son. Parents aren't supposed to have to bury their children. It's not supposed to be that way. Some here are sad, frustrated, maybe even a little angry because they've longed to be a mom. They've tried. But the Lord has not thus far seen fit to gift them with that. Let me tell you what we don't have here this morning. What we do not have in this room this morning are women who have no potential for influence, who cannot touch and impact lives. And I'm not offering that up as a consolation prize. 
But there is no one here who doesn't have opportunity to influence a generation and generations to come with the gospel, men or women. See, influencers are not just for Instagram or TikTok or whatever your preferred version. I do none of them. So send me anything on Messenger. I probably won't see it. But um, I, you know, it's, I don't understand all those things. And influencers, though, I hear about. And we have opportunities to be influencers in the world we live in. I scarcely believe we have anyone in this room who's not been powerfully impacted at some point in their life by a godly woman, maybe a mom, maybe not. Two weeks ago, we were sitting in this room. And the speaker, I can't remember, I was trying to remember whether it was one of her sons or whether it was Ronnie and Marianne Frazier's funeral. and said, if you've been impacted by Marianne, please stand. And, and the entire room stood. People that were not just her children, but far beyond her children. Some of those, some of us who have been greatly impacted by moms, it wasn't our own mother always that greatly impacted us. I watched my daughter, it's really fun to watch her. She lives in a neighborhood full of kids down in Florida, Liz, and, and um, they all seem to migrate toward her house. And I don't know if you, how many of y'all know Liz, but Liz is kind of a no-nonsense person. And, uh, and my family's over there going like this, you know, as I say that. But, you know, but she loves those kids, and, and she just, yeah, but she's, she sets them straight. She's, she's influencing them with her life. A lot of influence that some of them won't have anywhere else. You know, we always hear testimonies. People say, well, you know, I was at VBS and Miss So-and-So. So this is a shameless plug for VBS. Sign up, sign your kids up, sign your neighbor kids up, volunteer yourself, get under the teaching of the gospel. How many people we hear from that say, yeah, I heard the gospel at VBS. So-and-so at VBS shared Jesus with me and I came to know Christ. Two names that, that I hear a lot that are impact names. Some of you here know the name when I say it, Linda Letty. You know, Linda was never a mom from a, from a literal standpoint, but she mothered many and she had an impact on many. And some women here to this day still talk about the impact that she had on their life. And she's with the Lord now. Another name I hear a lot of people talk about is Cricket Keith. People talk about Cricket. Cricket's never been married. I do have her permission to use her in this illustration. Never been married, never literally been a mother, but what an impact she's had on the body of Christ. I might have snuck off and listened to a few of her lectures myself from time to time because she has an incredible ability to communicate truth. And we hear that. Something that's impossible for us to measure is the impact of godly women in our life. And we don't have to be, a person doesn't have to be, a woman doesn't have to be a biological or adoptive parent to be a mom to someone's life. There are so many people that just need that mom figure. I remember Debbie was working with a college group a number of years ago. She was talking about sitting down in the, uh, in the college room and a, a college girl just walked up to her and, and just kind of sat down next to her and just kind of, you know, snuggled up into her and, and just sat there. A few minutes she got up and said, I just needed a mom and walked away. You know, those needs are there. The truth is there are a few things that should be appreciated as much or aspired to as much as being a godly mom in someone's life, even if you aren't a parent in their life. Now, I'm not minimizing 
Let me say this. Hear this loud and clear. I am not minimizing because we've lived it in our family. I am not minimizing. And I cannot understand and I cannot possibly comprehend as a man the pain that, that people go through, the suffering that people go through when, when they struggle with infertility and they struggle with not being able to be a mom when they desperately want to, when they struggle with, with losing babies. I'm only saying what I do understand. What I do understand is that there are so many people that just need a woman's touch in their life. Whether it's a mom or whether it's somebody else, they need that care. They need that love. They need something I can't give them. Something in some ways it'd be inappropriate sometimes for me to give them. But things that even if it weren't inappropriate somehow, I just don't have a clue. I just wouldn't be able to do it. But it is Mother's Day. And since it's Mother's Day, I want us to look at a well-known New Testament figure and the mothering that went on around that individual. One of the great characters in the New Testament that had a godly mom and grandmother there in his life influencing him was Timothy. And so we look at Paul's letter to Timothy. It's uh, in 2 Timothy, we're going to start in chapter 1. If you use one of those Bibles in the pew, which I really encourage you to do, I'm glad we've got stuff up on the screen and we can put stuff on the screen, but, but, um, but sometimes, this, maybe a preacher shouldn't say this, but, but sometimes when your eyes wander on the page, some of the richest things I've ever gotten out of a sermon were when I read just a little before that verse or just a little after that verse and saw some things. So can I just be real old-fashioned and say, hey, this is great, but use a Bible too, you know, and look at it and, and look around in it. I, I'm, I'm getting old. I, I admit it. I'm getting old. We're going to start. It's on page 995 if you want to grab one of those Bibles out of the pew. And um, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy." I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. The influence of a godly heritage. Godly heritage is splashed all over this text. Paul speaks of his own in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Now, exactly who these ancestors were, who he's referring to specifically, we don't know. But we probably should take this in a fairly broad view and look at it, not necessarily as his immediate family, his immediate blood family, his parents, his grandparents. We don't really know much about that. But even the patriarchs, the prophets, godly believers who had gone before him, ancestors in the sense of his Jewish heritage who had held fast to the word of God. There's not a particular indication that these were his immediate relatives, but they were people that he saw as being in his legacy, in his line, in his lineage as he's come forward. And he says to Timothy, he says to Timothy, my beloved child in verse two, obviously Timothy wasn't his biological child. And we're uncertain, frankly, whether or not Paul had actually led Timothy to Christ. I kind of grew up 
always just kind of hearing that he had, and, and that was my understanding. And, but as I began to study it, I realized that, that commentators really differ on that as to whether Paul had personally led Timothy to Christ. What was really interesting is one commentator contradicted himself. In his commentary on Acts, he talked about how Paul had this special relationship with Timothy, having personally led him to Christ. And in his commentary on 2 Timothy, he said, this was a second generation uh, son of the faith, Paul having led his mother and grandmother to Christ, and now him, them having led the son. So I need to write him and ask him which one, if he's figured it out yet, which one that is. But either way, Paul considers him a son in the faith, a part of his spiritual legacy. Now, Timothy also had biological parents. One of the few people that we really learn about in the scripture that we, we hear something about their biological family, about their biological parents. Hold your finger here, flip over to Acts chapter 16, which is on page 924 in the Pew Bibles. And there, in, in starting in verse one, it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who we know from 2 Timothy is Eunice, who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of, Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now Timothy's mother Eunice was a believing Jewish woman. And her influence on Timothy, we'll talk about in a moment. His father, whose name we don't know, was a Greek. Now, the way this is worded makes it most likely that he was not a believer because he's kind of contrasted to the mother here. And the way the tenses are used, most likely he was deceased as well. So a non-believing father who likely deceased, we don't know how much role he had in Timothy's life, possibly not there for some of Timothy's formative years, so why am I pulling and making a point of this? Because I know that in this room, in addition to some of the things we talked about before, I know that in this room, maybe watching this, maybe seeing this sometime down the road, there are mothers who love Jesus with husbands who don't. There are grandparents burdened as their daughters who love Jesus are married to men who don't love Jesus. There are moms in this room and in our extended communities who are seeking to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but with husbands who at best are indifferent and at worst are hostile to what they're trying to do, making it more difficult for them to train up their children. But they're pressing on. And to those mothers and grandmothers, can I just say take heart? Can I say be encouraged? Just as without a, a godly husband and father, it seems, Eunice and, and her mother Lois raised up a godly son who loved and served Jesus and became one of the most amazing co-laborers in the advancement of the gospel in this time. In that same way, God can raise up through you, godly mom, godly grandmother, sons and daughters who love Jesus, who serve him, who make an impact for the kingdom, even without a dad who carries out that as well.
I remember two girls when I was, you know, if I had a Hall of Fame, there's, there's half a dozen or so kids from my decade or so in, in uh, youth ministry that I kind of look at as they were just none others like them. They just really stood out head and shoulders. And two of those girls that I would put right there together, right on the same plane as far as, as where they were coming from, and, and their commitment to Christ and their evangelism of their friends and, and, and serving him to this day. And one of those um, came from a home with a godly mom who loved Jesus and taught her about Jesus, but with a dad who wanted nothing to do with it, wanted nothing to do with the church, wanted nothing to do with Christianity. The other came from a home where both parents knew and loved the Lord. The dad is usually here. I don't see him today, but he's usually here in this room. And those two girls, one from a Christian school, one from a public school, those two girls, there was no difference from the standpoint of where they were spiritually because their moms were praying for them, others were praying for them, and they were greatly influenced by those who God had brought into their life. And they were great influencers of those that God brought into their life. Now, I know what's going to happen. I can already predict it. Somebody is going to go out of here today, and they're going to say, well, Taylor Park said that dads aren't important. <laughs> Taylor Park said it doesn't make any difference whether we have godly dads in the home or not. I'm not saying that, and I will sue you for slander if you say that I said that. <laughs> Not saying that at all. I'm just saying not every home has one. And a home not having one doesn't determine the spiritual trajectory of the children in that home. It might make it a little harder, but it does not decide it. What I'm saying, and I take nothing away from the value of godly husbands and godly fathers, and I pray that every man who has children and has a wife Children or not will be a godly husband and a godly father and set the example and set the temperature in that home with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But experience says that we all know homes where that's not true and where children are flourishing in the Lord. It's not always true, but guess what? It's not always true that when you have two godly parents, children always flourish in the Lord either. Godly, godly moms <clears throat> who, by God's grace, have raised godly children passionately in love with Jesus are something to, to be modeled, something to be see reproduced over and over again. Some who have no husband at all, who are single moms, that are working every day maybe just to put bread on the table, to keep a roof over their head, but are still communicating Christ and the love of Christ. And we can come alongside and help them in ways. So if any of that describes you, take heart, stand firm, be encouraged because God is able. Secondly, there's the influence of sincere faith. And don't panic. The other two aren't as long as the first one. In verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now... I'm sure dwells in you as well. The word that's translated here, sincere, is, is from a compound word. If you take the word that, that we get hypocrite from and you put uh, a, uh, a not or a no in front of it, then you get not hypocritical or sincere. 
And so it's a person who's, he's talking about Timothy's faith, that there's no hypocrisy in his faith. He's saying your faith is sincere with that negative prefix attached to, to hypocrite. Paul celebrates Timothy's unhypocritical faith, and he traces that faith to his mother and to his grandmother. And he says, Timothy, you learned this from them, from, from your infancy. You learned this from them. But he says, you've made it your own. You've made it your own. He is not riding on his parents' coattails, and that's huge. So often we see kids that don't really own their faith. Someone did a sermon here years ago. I've never forgotten it. One of our staff members, not the senior pastor, but one of our staff members, and he brought a jacket with him. And it was this huge oversized jacket. I don't know, some of you may remember this. This huge oversized jacket. And he takes this jacket and he says, you know, this is, sometimes this is your parents' faith. And he tries to put it on and he says, you know, this, this just doesn't fit you. Because it's not yours. It's not, it's not the faith that is your own. And so often that's the case. We raise kids. We teach them the right things. And if I could go back and have a redo on parenting, I would concentrate so much more on the heart. Less on the behavior. More on the heart. Because you can control the behavior for a while. <laughs> but not forever. But with a heart... And that's what I would want to emphasize so, so much more. Debbie and I have talked about that so many times, if we, could, if we could have that over again. And I would exhort you to that, to focusing on the heart. Not letting your kids ride on your spiritual coattails, but establishing that faith that is their own, as, as Timothy had done. So influencers, all of us, we need to think about this. You know, Eunice and Lois and Timothy and... Paul, none of them were perfect. They were all human beings. They were all human beings. Paul's very clear in Romans 7 that, that he's a very imperfect in living out his faith. He said, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Was Paul's faith a hypocritical faith? Was his faith insincere? Is that what that means when he says, hey, I, I'm not living this out perfectly? Do you think that Lois or Eunice or, or Timothy lived their faith out perfectly? Yet they're so well commended here. Is there a man, woman, or child in this room living their faith out perfectly? I doubt it. I doubt it. If you think you are, I can probably find a witness to the contrary pretty quickly. I can certainly find them for me. So are we all hypocrites? if we are not perfectly living out our faith as the world kind of wants to paint us with, as it's eager to label us? Is our faith insincere because we don't live inerrantly in our Christian faith? The fact is, faith, failure rather, is not hypocrisy. To fail is not to be a hypocrite. To do something we say we shouldn't do. If I, I couldn't ever preach another sermon if I could never preach anything that I had to do perfectly. Because I've never once been perfect at anything. Everything I've done, I, I could go back and say, I can see how that could be better. Or I wish I hadn't done that. Failure's not hypocrisy when we're honest about that failure. That's why there's grace. 
That's why we have faith. That's what we have faith in Christ's ability to forgive us of those sins. It's not the sin we do, but what the sin does to us that often reveals the quality of our faith. You look at Peter. Was Peter a hypocrite when he denied Christ? Not at all. That wasn't a hypocritical act. That was an act of weakness. And what did it do to him? He went out and wept bitterly. That's a sign of a relationship with Christ. That's the sign of the reality of faith. When our response to sin is confession and repentance, even when we do the very thing that maybe last week we taught a lesson on, do not do this, and then we turn around and do it, when our response to that is not denial and justification, not trying to say, well, this is why it's okay for me to do it, and it's not condemning someone else for something we've done. When our response to sin is confession and repentance, that manifests the sincerity, not hypocritical faith. It doesn't undermine it. When you don't care, that undermines it. Mom, when you lose it big time and you turn around and there's a little Johnny, eyes this big, mouth hanging open, you know what? You didn't cripple your influence for faith on that child. You may have some apologizing and some explaining and some repenting to do, but that didn't make you a bad mom. That doesn't make you incapable of leading your child in the, in the principles and the truths of faith. Matter of fact, it gives you an opportunity to, to illustrate what our ex human experience in faith really is. It's about what we do with our sin because we all got it. Your brand may be different than mine, but we all got it. And when we do fail in that, hypocrisy is to deny it. Hypocrisy is to say, I don't do that. Hypocrisy is to say there's nothing wrong with that when there is. Living out our faith is to confess it, to appropriate grace, seek the forgiveness of the people we've offended if we need to. And when we do that, we demonstrate to our kids that our sincere faith is assuring us. It's not undermining it. It's assuring us that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the unrighteousness that we all have. I'll bet even Lois and Eunice blew it a time or two. I bet there were even times when maybe they said something they wish they hadn't, said it in a way they wish they hadn't. And lastly, there's an enduring influence. Can I speak to the children of godly moms here or godly influencers, of those who have had a godly mother figure in their life, whether it was a genuine parent or not, and whether you were eight or 80? I want to pass along a word to you from Paul. It's a couple of chapters later in 2 Timothy chapter 3. wish we had time to really unpack this. It's another sermon for another day. Paul says, but as for you, you, those with this godly mom and grandmother, specifically talking to, to Timothy, but in a broader sense to all of us, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childbirth, literally it's, it's infancy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, not necessarily a believer that whole time, but within the context of a spiritual heritage. 
You've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Folks, let's don't squander the truths that have been entrusted to us. It doesn't matter whether we're eight years old or we're 80 years old, we could still do that. Let's not squander the truths entrusted to us, many by godly mothers, grandmothers, and mother figures in our life. At some point, well, the parents who camp on this stage today, they made a commitment. You heard it, we all witnessed it. We got it on tape. They made a commitment to train their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They, did, they made a commitment to teach them biblical truth. They made a commitment to teach them what they need to know to follow Christ. But what they cannot do is make their children follow Christ. What they cannot do is force their children. And those children, all of us, have come to or will come to a point somewhere in our life where we have to make a choice. I will accept that for myself. I will choose to embrace these truths or I will choose to reject them. I will follow Christ or I will choose not to. And that could happen at all different periods of life. It's not just teenagers that rebel. It is not just teenagers that walk away from the truths that they know. The truths imparted to us, it says, are for our good. They may seem difficult. They may be hard to hear. We may have that inclination to roll our eyes or, or just walk away. But those truths have a purpose, a divine purpose. And Paul tells us here they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So mothers and others, let's be builders of spiritual legacies. Earlier this year, we had a sermon series on making disciple makers, a sermon series on being someone who sh shares the gospel, communicates Christ, helps to raise up and mature godly believers. You can do that programmatically through so many different things here at the church and other places. You can do that individually in your neighborhoods, in your communities, just among your kids' friends, among your own friends. Let's don't let these truths die off in a generation. Let's be builders of spiritual legacies. Let's be advocates and possessors of a non-hypocritical faith, not a perfect living out of that faith, not the perfect living out of all that I believe, but of a willingness to say that I'm going to seek to, to honor Christ, I'm going to fail, and when I do, I'll be honest about it. And when I do, I'll own it. I'll live up to it. I won't make lame excuses about it, and I won't point my finger at you for doing something that I'm doing, maybe just in a little different way. Let's pass that down from generation to generation. A legacy that's made credible by a consistent lifestyle that matches the message, reduced down to childlike simplicity and transforming us every inch of the way. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for those in our midst 
whether they are literally mothers or not. But those who have influenced us and influenced, influenced us in very, very powerful ways. Father, we pray that you will give them encouragement today. We pray for those who are suffering today. Father, we pray that each and every one of us would seek to lead forward in a legacy of a godly heritage, whatever our role in that may be. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.